Hey there, this episode has some strong language and some spoilers. I'm free. I'm free, y'all. Yeah. I need everybody to be there to me. I am, I am a revolutionary. revolutionary. I, am I am a revolutionary. I'm Elvis Mitchell. Glad to have you back for the third episode of the official podcast of Judas and the Black Messiah. The buzz is huge for this film, which centers on Chairman Fred Hampton, who left the Black Panther Party chapter in Chicago until his assassination in 1969. In our last episode, we talked with Mother Akua and Jerry, Chairman Fred's widow, about their life together, plus the impact of the Black Panthers and this film. How you been out there in Chicago, Chairman? Man, keep my head up on this end, brother. Hey, man, good to hear you, man, as always. Today, Chairman Fred Jr. and actor Daniel Kaluuya. Always good to see and hear you too, bro. Hey, you looking sharp in the, uh, the magazine covers, man. Oh, yo, I had, to, I had to do it to him, bro. I need the same stylist, man. <laughs> Listen, I can, I can hook it up. Beautiful. Of all the relationships Chairman Jr. built during his time on the film set, this one was unique. Daniel stars as Chairman Fred Hampton Sr., the father Chairman Jr. never met because he was assassinated three weeks before he was born. For much of Chairman Jr.'s adult life, he's been protective of his father's legacy. So it was important to him that Daniel channel the spirit and power Chairman Sr. was known for. This is what we call the people beat. Started in 1966 by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. It's the beat that manifests in you, the people. They can't never stop the party unless they stop the people. Well, ain't you high? Ain't you high? I'm high of the people. I'm high. I'm high. Daniel came to this film having already made a sizable impact with black directors and films such as Queen and Slim, Widows, Black Panther, and his Oscar-nominated role in Get Out. This role may be his most important and challenging yet. Daniel was born in London, not Chicago, two whole decades after Chairman was killed. Of course, he did what actors do. He found a way to channel someone so different from him, and I have to say, Daniel's Chairman is pretty powerful. So... The first thing I asked him was how he got there. Things arrive to you, you know? I think things arrive to you at certain places and certain times in your life. And I understood the gravity of what Chairman believed in the sense that I was a person who had very little growing up. We didn't have a lot. 
And to to have a person like that in my community that was making sure that I was good as a kid would have been invaluable. You know what I'm saying? To me and all the people around me, like an organization that would have um, just showed love to kids. Me going into a deep dive into the Black Panther Party and, and the values and the principles, I was like, wow, this is really not what has been marketed to society. I just could, I connected to it. And also I connected to it in a sense because how I choose the roles that I do is how do I want my friends to feel? How do I want my peoples to feel? You know, what do I want to show them? Um, what do I want to educate them on? What do I want them to be able to articulate? You know, because that's a, I thought it was a huge thing about this film and the Black Panther Party in general and Chairman Fred Hampton is that he had a gift to articulating feelings and frustrations. That's something that really, um, that really spoke to me. This strength of numbers. Ah, where anywhere there's people. And in order to uh, overthrow this racist, fascist, nefarious US government's gonna take everybody. Black better people, free your mind for just a quarter. Sorry, I'm on my way to work. Well, man, I'm with sister, I work for you. Information is raw material for new ideas. Oh, you got kids? Friends got kids? Yeah. Oh, we got a breakfast program here. 300 kids a week. Because we've grown so accustomed to being poor, we think it's normal for our kids to go to school hungry. We think it's normal for us to go to the hospital with a runny nose and come home with a body bag. So our job, as a Black Panther Party, is to heighten the contradictions. So the people can decide if they want to overthrow the government or not. I wonder if you felt there's some kind of, as you got to know more and more about Chairman, you felt some kind of simpatico with him as a person. Yeah, and I think that really hit home to me on the day that we shot the scene where William O'Neill poisoned Chairman Fred. William O'Neill was the FBI informant who assisted in Fred Hampton's assassination. In the film, his character, played by Lakeith Stanfield, has been ordered to drug Chairman Fred. The scene Daniel's describing takes place the night before Chairman Fred is to go to prison for five years. Several Panthers and their allies are gathered in Chairman's apartment. O'Neill is there, too. As he secretly prepares to poison Chairman's drink, everyone else is trying to figure out how to help Chairman and his pregnant girlfriend flee the country. There ain't no shame in running. It's not like they're giving you a choice. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe he's right, Chairman. Go overseas. Like you said, start a international proletariat revolution. At least that way you're still in the fight. I know a guy. High sub checks, passports, driver's licenses, things of that nature. Yeah, but how far are we gonna get when one of us is 37 weeks pregnant? You could be in Havana less than 24 hours, and they have some of the best doctors in the world. Okay, let's just hope that's not the day that Nixon decides to nuke that motherfucker. Look, Algeria, they got Minister Eldridge. Not to mention bungalows by the sea. The Cuban got ocean for days. You know how long it'll take to get to Algeria? Chairman Fred orders everyone to focus their resources on building a free clinic while he's in prison. And he's contemplating a future with more and more children. When I get out, me and Deb can have a second. <laughs> and third. And fourth. Okay, easy now. I was going to carry the five, baby. Five's a good number, right? Well, well, we see how you do with the one. Mm. This scene was shot on December 4th, 2019, 50 years to the day since Chairman Fred Hampton was assassinated. And I just felt heavy. 
I felt really heavy that day. I asked to, to say a speech before we started shooting. I wanted to mark the moment. And Shaka said a speech, the director, Shaka King, and then I said a speech. And in that moment, I, I was conscious of the reverence I held for Chairman Fred Hampton, how much he had moved me. It really hit home how much he, he meant to me and how even 50 years after his murder, we are all here together honoring his legacy. Were you talking about with playing chairman, he's somebody who people feel possessive of. Mm-hmm. But you, on the other hand, have to possess him too and that you have to make him your own. So if you can talk a little bit about that balance and how you struck that. That's why that day was so um, profound to me because it was the first time I allowed the outside perception of Chairman Fred Hampton. I allowed myself to be conscious of that. I knew that in order for you to be a fully-fledged Black Panther, you need six weeks of political education. And there's a Black Panther reading list. And I read the majority of that reading list before I even specifically looked at Chairman Fred Hampton as, a, as an individual. In every city, political education, or PE classes, were a fundamental part of becoming a Black Panther. Anyone who wanted to join had to attend weeks of classes taught by Black Panther Party members. The early reading lists were dense with socialist revolutionary writing by Lenin or Chairman Mao or Che Guevara. They also studied Black history and law and received practical weapons training. Political education was paramount to the Panthers. Judas and the Black Messiah offers a glimpse of the party's PE classes. Somebody define war for me. War is a violent conflict between two or more parties. Right on. Well, how about politics? Elections. Elections can't be part of politics, certainly. But we in the party ascribe to Chairman Mao's definition of politics. He said, war is politics with bloodshed, and politics is war without bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Say it with me, y'all. War is politics with bloodshed. Politics is wrong without bloodshed. Now, what that mean? It mean every time the pigs shoot down an unarmed brother and sister in the street, man daily pull the trigger. <laughs> so how we win this war? What's the most lethal weapon? Guns, grenades, rocket launchers. And so for me, I wanted to take in the mindset, the beliefs, the values of the time. And so I'm approaching Chairman Fred with that um, wealth of knowledge from Chairman Mao, from Marcus Garvey, from those, those texts that they were reading, that they were engaging with. And when I, I got to him, I was like, oh, wow, there's, there's this, I have a decision here. Is this going to be an impersonation or an interpretation? And I realized that it'd be more honest for it to be an interpretation. And then with it being an interpretation, I had to go to Chairman Fred. Essentially, you have to surrender your kind of yourself, your values, your thinking, and taking those little, little bits of information that you catch along the way and live it, you know? And so every morning before set, I would listen to a Malcolm X speech. I would listen to a Martin Luther King speech because I had read that he had done that. You know, I do what he had done. And so it's not even about possession. It's about um, a channel. I don't feel it's my job to possess Chairman Fred Hampton. I feel it's my job to channel him, to be a vessel for the message and the spirit. And so I would reach for that in, um, 
in terms of um, approaching the character. And Chairman, what was that like for you to see Daniel's take, really, on Chairman? Just, um, I was just thinking, as Daniel was speaking, uh, as I said on many occasions, though the government assassinated my father in a graphic, brutal way, it's a system that attempts, and in many cases, succeeds. And it's taking out all of our fathers, all of our mothers in one way or another, uh, shooting them down, stringing them out on narcotics, punking them out, locking them up. And no one should be deprived of knowing about Chairman Fred Hampton. In many cases, we come across situations where people attempt to come and attempt to gut the legacy, to exploit it. But this the legacy of Chairman Fred and the Black Panther Party. It's like a, not a paper plate, but it's a fine piece of china that can be passed down generations to come. A quick break, and we'll be back with more of my conversation with Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and actor Daniel Kaluuya. This podcast is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures, Judas and the Black Messiah. The Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, WGA, and SAG Award-nominated film, now playing in theaters and streaming exclusively on HBO Max for 31 days. It's time the world knows the truth about Chairman Fred Hampton. Watch the film, know his name, share his legacy. Judas and the Black Messiah, rated R. Hi, welcome back. There was a moment early in the filming of Judas and the Black Messiah that Chairman Jr. and Daniel both remember well. Daniel was in wardrobe, getting fitted for his costumes. Chairman Jr. was on set, too, in another room. At one point, both of them went for a walk and ran right into one another. There was Daniel, completely made up like Chairman Sr., the father Chairman Jr. had never met. It was the first time I um, had completely dressed as the Chairman Fred. And it was, and then literally walked in. The first person I seen is Chairman Jr. I was like, "Oh man!" And then we embraced each other, and it was, it was deep, man. I felt, yeah. I felt, I felt, um, I felt a lot. It's, it's words, words won't do it justice for me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, um, it was something that was, that was felt. That moment is like being received by uh, a family member of his. You know, dressed as him was a, it was a huge moment for me. Yes, indeed, and same here. I recall a couple of situations in particular. Um, this is one we had brought actually some of our comrades from the Black Panther Party Cubs down on set. And one of our ranking members uh, was was in, um, we had kind of included them there. And Danny was speaking, this is on the, the stairs, the police station. Um, in fact, it's on the Rainbow Coalition. Chicago's the most segregated city in America. Not Shreveport. Not Birmingham. But we here to change that. The Black Panthers, the Young Lords, and the Young Patriots are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. And one of the comrades said, "You know, right on, Chairman." And you, and like you can see the like the the connection and this, like even this, this feeling of it. The pigs do everything in their power to keep us isolated. Throughout the film, one of the things that's especially noticeable about his portrayal of Chairman Sr. is Daniel's accent. Because they know that they be get organized, it's over for their asses. Yeah, I keep coming back to this line from Dr. King. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. 
Because make no mistake, comrade. This is the fucking valley. But where some see despair, I see ground zero for the revolution. Chairman Jr. remembers several occasions when he heard Daniel nailing the southern tones of his city's accent. And I'll and be the comment like, no, that's, that's no mistake. That's, let, let it flow. Because many people call Chicago uh, another Mississippi. So you have a combination of their southern dialect mixed in with the, you know, with the city. In fact, sometimes I've, I've been down south and people ask me, what, where, where you from, Texas? Where you from, New Orleans? But uh, I was struggling. I said, hope they don't, hope they don't cut that. You know, it, it, was, it was right in sync. It's so interesting, I mean, just hearing all this stuff, because to talk, talk about the accent, Daniel, this is kind of the second time you play somebody from Chicago, isn't it? I mean, is this an easy rhythm? It's not because it's not just like the chairman saying, it's not just the accent, it's also the speaking rhythms. And is that an easy one for you to get? Man, it was, it was, it was it, it, how he speaks, very specific. So it was, it was a, quite a challenge, but I just don't see how someone speaks, not as an extension of where they're from, but who they are. And so... I have to kind of like put aside the the region to an extent and go, yeah, this is a collection of ideas and beliefs that is founded in this area. However, how does that belief and idea manifest within that person? I, I see accent as how someone moves their head, how they move their expression, how they how they move their hands, how they how they walk. That's an accent to me. So it's that kind of I mean that's all encapsulating a, an, an idea an idea that's founded within that place, but then it's like, oh, that individual has a take on it. Do you know what I'm saying? In order to, to get out their spirit in a certain way. And, and that's kind of how I approached. Um, it's kind of like, you can't, you can't just do the voice without doing the stance, without doing the, the lean, without doing, <laughs> you know, there's a whole universe of gestures and sounds and rhythms that all are a kind of clue to what they've been exposed to and what they've been around. But yeah, as, as you were talking about that, I was thinking the way people stand, if you stand a certain way, it changes the way you breathe. And if it changes the way you breathe, then it changes the way you talk. There's like a Chicago stance. There's a way that people move. There's a way people stand. There's a way that, because I'm from Detroit, so I spent time in Chicago, and people in Chicago are almost waiting to size you up. And what you did playing Chairman Daniel, this intersection of wariness and eagerness. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And also it helped me. This, I spent some time in Chicago when I was like 16. Ah. Because I have family out there. I have family in the South Side. So I'd been out there before I ever touched doing, thinking about acting in, in a real way. So there's probably something in my subconscious, especially when there's, when there's blood involved as well. You know, I've got my cousins out there and X, Y, Z. So... Before we sat down with Mama Akua and um, Chairman Fred Jr., I went to Chicago by myself um, because I didn't feel comfortable that I hadn't met the family yet. And uh, and I just put myself there, put myself up, and kind of just took in Chicago. And whilst in my spare time studying dissertations about the Illinois chapter and all these knowledges, like doing real specific deep reading on the Illinois chapter, and then in the day going to Chairman Fred's elementary school, Chairman Fred's high school, Chairman Fred's, like all the spots that um, he would speak at and just going there and taking, you know, just speaking to the people that are out there, you know? Talking to Daniel, and we'll hear this later in the series from actors like Keith Stanfield and Dominique Fishback, 
One of the things that comes up over and over again is the spirit of camaraderie on the set. It's not unusual on a film set for folks to bond over a shared love for the craft. But with Judas and the Black Messiah, there's something else, too. The actors believed in the weight of the story. It helped a lot having Chairman Jr. on the set, and Mother Akua, Chairman Sr.'s widow, who also came out for some of the filming. They once had a big lunch together at a pool hall with the cast and crew. They talked about the history of the Panthers, the political climate of the late 1960s, the way party members dressed and carried themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was so um, excited to spend that time and um, so privileged that Chairman Fred and Mama Kua um, made that time for us. And it was just, um, it was an education. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, this is what, and, he, and then Chairman Fred was just listening out these stories and these philosophies and these beliefs and it's, you know, when Chairman Virginia goes, he goes. <laughs> and then he'd be dropping bars. Chairman Virginia be dropping bars. There was some bar that he dropped. I was like, woo! Crazy, bro. I was like, oh, shit. And it's like, but it is like, by the time you want to go into your notes and write, he dropped another one. You're like, woo, what the fuck? <laughs> right. said, it was like, it was, um, and so, and I think I, you just put your notes down and just experience it, you know, just be present. You know, just try, don't try and take it. Just try and live it. Just try and your cells will move because of it. You know, and just trust in that. It was an enlightening lunch, and then you just saw the brilliance of Chairman Fred Junior. Is 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 how everyone felt um, moving, leaving, leaving it. It's just like wow, like um, man. Whoa, yo, you said some shit. I will never forget in my life. You said some shit. I remember because I say it all the time. It's like he said when poverty. When poverty enters the front door, morality leaves at the back. Please correct me if I... If I... Uh, when poverty comes to the front door, morality leaves at the back door. Yes, indeed. We was just like, woo! Yeah, Chairman, let me hear your side about this, too. You know, we were able to dialogue and just, you know, anytime I seen an opening, it was natural, you know what I'm saying? I said, let's, you know, let's seize the time. It wasn't it wasn't laid out that we're going to go to lunch together. And they were, they were receptive, you know what I'm saying? You know, it wasn't just, you know, just some sort of... Mandatory, you have to go talk. I, in fact, I recall when the lunch they had to go back to set. Dominique, Daniel, everybody was like, "Man, hold on, let's 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 continue this. Let's continue this." It was an activation. Right on, right on. There's so much interesting things coming up here, and you mentioned something about Dominique, and I just want to ask you, Daniel, about you know you're playing chairman, and we had we're seeing. Chairman Fred the Revolutionary, but also seeing Chairman Fred the Man. You've been talking about this in a lot of ways, about juggling all the, or balancing all these things, I mean to say. And I wanted to talk to you about that relationship on screen and how you and Dominique were able to work that out. Yeah, in, in, in those intimate moments, it was like, oh, wow, there isn't a record of that side of Chairman Fred. Again, Elvis, my North Star in those moments is, is what's the truth? What's the truth of this moment? From everything that I have kind of taken in, what comes out of you? If you're really serving, if you're really being a vessel, what comes out of you and just honoring that, you know? And also me and Dominic, we just, we cared about how their relationship um, happened and how they, and how it um, trickled out and what it said about them as individuals and what it said about them as being together. Director Shaka King wrote Judas and the Black Messiah with several big intersecting storylines. Chairman Fred Hampton's political life, William O'Neill's descent into the grip of the FBI, and Chairman Deborah Johnson falling in love. 
It's captured in a scene where Chairman is listening to a Malcolm X speech. Deborah walks in. I listen to him every morning. I feel like he never lets folks put words in his mouth. And no matter what, he doesn't get flustered or angry. I'd like to be like that someday. Right on. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. You want some coffee? Sure. Well, how you take it? Black and sweet. Chairman pours her a cup. They sit down next to each other. And then they kiss. <laughs> what? I did not expect you to be shy. Well, I'm not shy. Okay. Me and Dominic had a lot of conversations about the scenes, about dynamics and retuning stuff and throwing stuff away and rewriting other things. And Shaka was incredibly open and collaborative in in hearing us out and taking this. And we really cared about the representation of Mama Kua in the film, you know, And, and and how she wanted her to feel strong and supportive, but and had her own her own perspective. Because usually in these kinds of films, usually the woman is just like, oh, please don't do that. You know, it's like no, Mama Queer is Mama Queer is strong in her strong in her values and strong in her individuality. I, I want to just jump in with this too. Revolutionaries, uh, you know, contrary to so much mis- misinformation, you know, we, we you know we, we we're human beings, you know. Um, we love, we you know what I'm saying, and but we we yield to the the greater good. Uh, the, the politics outweighs the personal, and this is not like a nine to five job that we do. Mama Cool talks about you know what I'm saying, like Chairman Fred reference her as, as a hamp. Wake up anytime at night times, a hamp. You know what I'm saying, just you know as we say, pop into politics, and not just from the podium, but you know what I'm saying, in the bedroom, you know, in, in the kitchen. This was revolutionary. It's not this division, like, okay, that's the movement and this is my, you know, my personal life. It's intertwined. And this is this is how we struggle to let people know this is part of us. I remember one lady asked me, she said, You call your mother comrade? And I told her, Mama Kua. We are a political organization, we're a revolutionary organization, and, and it's intertwined in our everyday life. But Daniel, I mean, it's just, I can't think of any other actor who's had, like, this kind of back-to-back with five black directors. I mean, this is amazing. It's a blessing, bro. You know, let's keep moving forward. It only works as a wave. Well, let's hope it's a wave and not a cycle. We've got to learn from history, because it will be a cycle if we let it, you know? And if we don't, it won't. Watch out now. If we don't, it won't. Watch out with you and them quotes, man. All right. I, I listen, I learned from the best, bro. Right here, I learned from the best, bro. Hey, man, this shit is contagious, man. <laughs> Hey, man, hey, 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 go without Sam said anyway, man. Man, love and miss you, brother. Revolutionary love and respect and appreciation. We're going to continue to make history, take history, and take history, my brother. Real talk. Real talk, man. Appreciate you forever, bro. Appreciate you, fellas, man. Free them all. Free them all. In the next episode, The Judas and Judas and the Black Messiah, the story of William O'Neill the man who betrayed Chairman Fred Hampton and set up his murder. He was a very scurvy, <laughs> slimy type of motherfucker. Anytime he was around, you were very uncomfortable. In essence, O'Neill was just a criminal 
did a lot of harm. You know, he had a lot of people murdered. This podcast is a production of 99% Invisible, Proximity Media, and Warner Brothers. The series is written by Christopher Johnson, our supervising producer. Roman Mars is our editor. Our senior producer is Delaney Hall. Abby Madon is our associate producer. Special thanks also to producer Emmett Fitzgerald. Our music was composed by Sean Rial. Graham Haysha is our fact checker. Bryson Barnes is our mix engineer. Special thanks to Layla Wills, our sync producer in Chicago. And I'm your host, Elvis Mitchell. See you next time. Radiotopia. 